Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. The problem now is moving a little bit in the sense that now we're mainstream. It's not about just making more rectangles and more modules. I want to make fewer modules, but get the same gigawatt output, right? Get more output on a roof, get more output in the field, do it in a sustainable way, do it in an ethical way, doing it with quality product. And that's really what Meyerberg is all about. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. I just want to say thank you for the one thing that you've decided to invest today that you don't get back. It's the non-renewable resource known as time. I promise both your time and attention are well-directed. You are going to get a return for that investment here on Suncast. Today's expert guide is running one of those companies that I all too often find people don't know that they know about. They don't realize the impact that a company like Meyer Burger has had in its 70-year legacy of building the solar industry, building the factories that build the panels that we put on everyone's roofs to, in fact, take this energy transition to the next level. So I've had the chance over the last few months to get to know Artis Johnson. And not only do I uh, respect him for carrying the name Johnson in such an, a brave and, and uh, established manner, but he truly ha- is a, an entrepreneur, an intrapreneur, uh, an energy executive in the true sense of the word. And today's conversation with artists is going to dig into the history of solar modules in the United States, the evolution of our industry, and uh, what the current state of the union, so to speak, of manufacturing domestically and abroad has to take into consideration the inputs and the outputs, how we all work together toward a common goal. If you like conversations like this, where we get deep inside the minds of the leaders on the front lines of the clean energy transition, my friend, you are in the right place because we have over 650 conversations like this. Folks that are building the companies that are changing the way the world works. Artis is one of them. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we dig into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, Artis, I hope that folks have had a chance to watch some of the stuff that we produced with you guys in uh, in Vegas. We'll link to that 12-minute clip that I thought was fantastic. Today, we get to dig deeper into uh, the work that you've done, the life that you've created, and the and the work environment that um, that you and culture that you are fostering at the brand behind the brand, Meyer Burger. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the introduction and. For all of our cousins out there, the Johnson family, thank you for the for the call out for the name. No, this is absolutely a great, great opportunity to be here. Absolutely, we're part of two tribes, two That's very right. important tribes. Um, mm-hmm. Well, as um, as many know, I'm a quote collector. Uh, Zig Ziglar is one of those that I just love. And uh, today's quote, uh, as we kick it off, is you cannot consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. Pretty deep thoughts, you know, and I tell you. From my perspective, you do a lot of introspective uh, consideration of, of who you are and where you're going, what's the path. And you're often looking back at your rudder and trying to 
get it lined out, uh, especially in this industry. Uh, I like that, you know, the Zig Ziglar quotes are always great because they're business quotes. They make you focus uh, just from the character of that person. It really is interesting. Uh, you know, right now I would be more in the uh, arena of a, more of a Mike Tyson quote. You know, everyone has a planet until they get punched in the mouth. Uh, that's right. You know? Because that's that's what we often feel like over over the past few months and, and years and and this solar culture that we live in. I love it. Uh, that is a classic one. I feel like that Tyson quote goes down as like one of the it's one of the pinnacle quotes, like Gretzky, you know, skating to the puck that mm-hmm. will be it will be quoted for decades, if not centuries. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, in the way that Gretzky and Tyson changed the game they had um they had a mission that they were on i've learned that you know um meyer Berger and you as an individual are on a mission at the core of every mission is sort of a problem statement if you will could you describe for us the problem at a macro level that you feel meyer Berger was created to solve yeah well it's interesting i've been in the industry for or around the industry for over a decade now and um it's the problem in and of itself has changed a little bit over time in terms of how you approach it but but really it's it's how do we bring more renewable energy to the masses right and and how do we make it happen if you were looking back 10 years ago it was all about getting the individual cost down below a certain threshold and that time it was cheaper than coal right all 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 eyes to bad 10 the problem now is moving a little bit in the sense that now we're mainstream. We've moved out of the niche market, and now solar's become a uh, an asset for our, for power generators, even and down all the way down to the homeowners. That it's something that they absolutely want. And now we look up, and we went from two gigawatts to ten gigawatts, fifteen, twenty, thirty. Now we're talking forty gigawatts. And the problem is, is how are we going to get all that? How are we going to make all of that? Where are we going to get it from? That time when we needed to get power below coal and that attitude was really how do we scale and we lent we lent to our colleagues over in asia to create that scale and now we look up today and the problem is how do we get to 40 gigawatts without dependence on essentially one country to deliver all that product we don't do that in any industry that we that i know of and this is one that uh, is very important to me of course but i think it's important to to us from from the um, sustainability, the climate, but also from energy security and, and other things. So the problem I, we see at Asmeyer Burger is really how do we get that and diversify uh, and, and allow not only the U.S., but Europe and, and the whole world to scale to a place that was unthought of, unheard of, you know, a, a few years ago. I mentioned earlier a phrase that you and Michelle and the broader Meyer Burger team have been utilizing a lot lately, the brand behind the brand. Mm. And it's true. Not a lot of folks really do understand who Meyer Burger is and the fact that it's a 70 year old uh, company that has brought a lot of innovation to the industry. So would you introduce us to Meyer Burger and why specifically it's solving the problem mm. you've just enunciated? Yeah. So Meyer Burger and for people who don't know, we are a publicly traded Swiss company with manufacturing in, in Europe and, and soon to be here in the U.S. Um, we are, at our core, a technology company. Uh, 70 years in the business of being a company, 
40 years in the business of solar, essentially. Mm -hmm. And in, in between there, we, we started in the semiconductor space. So we were at that time developing technologies for the future, always trying to be what's the next step? What's the next step? And that's really what we are at our core. And we know that from that perspective, you've got to get to a certain place over time that allows the systems that you produce to do to do enough to become mainstream. Mm -hmm. And um, if you walk any of our, as you said, we're the brand behind the brand, gigawatts and gigawatts, 70 plus gigawatts a year pass through technology that Meyerberger has either has or developed. Mm -hmm. And we are very proud of that in the sense that we are able to reflect on what was and what is to be. But the truth of the matter is we're a company from an RD roots that says, okay, that's great, but what have you done for me now? So mm -hmm. we continue to develop the technologies for tomorrow. We yeah. just happen to now self-consume those technologies at the, at the current time. You know, we've gone to making our own tools for ourselves. You walk our lines in Germany, you walk our cell lines, 90% of the, the product is coming off of a Meyerberger tool. And, you know, we are proud of that. And, and quite frankly, we feel that there needs to be that kind of driver in, in order to meet what is going to be the, how do I get to the 30, 40 gigawatts? Because it's not about just making more rectangles and more modules. I want to make fewer modules, but get the same gigawatt output, right? Those, that's ultimately yeah. what we're trying to do. Get more output on a roof, get more output in the field, do it in a sustainable way, do it in an ethical way, doing it with quality product. And that's really what Meyerberger is all about. How far upstream does Meyerberger go? For those who are just not, not sure if they are fully understanding what it is that you do, Meyerberger makes the manufacturing lines that mm -hmm. other solar module manufacturers for decades have relied on to take what they've done in the factory, sell improvements up to you know, 25, 28% efficiency, and be able to duplicate that success, not in a clean room, but in a factory. Can you talk a bit more about kind of the breadth of product and delivery up to the solar panel that Meyerberger has traditionally been known for? We first got into the, the solar industry by doing the metrology, the measuring. Uh, we uh, we own we were Passan is a company of ours. They do the flasher technology. So when people think about you know the, the module comes off, you flash it and get the power. That's us. That we that's our company, and so we're very familiar with that from that perspective. And we've also of, of course developed the the cell technologies as well, and the tools from the passivation tools and, and on down the line. And all the model perk technology that's common, more common today, we have that that that's our skill set and our tool set. So, and, but even before that, we've got history in in the wafer business. We've got a lot of people, a lot of history there from the diamond wire saw business that we used to own, and um, for sure, uh, are very familiar with that business and the wafer business. And we have people within our our company that still are very strong in their knowledge base uh, of that, even though we're not at this moment in that business, but. It's pretty interesting because of other things that are going on in the U.S., the potential. There are a lot of folks who want to put in wafers, a wafer uh, in a business here. And, and I like to tell people it's heavy capital investment, not terribly difficult, but it, a little mistakes can cost you a lot of money. But then, you know, for, from our perspective, we're, we're trying to work together with a lot of those to see how we can pull in our experience and see if it, if it can support it. Plus, we have a vested interest in that. We want to have wafers. Uh, we want to have supply of wafer. You know, of course, we'd love to have it from the United States. And, uh, you know, our customers, uh, of course, would like to have that too, if, if if possible. But they also understand that, 
there's gives and takes, and, and we're just working through that. But if you look at us today, what our complete focus is today really is the technology development and the tool set development and the manufacturing of solar cells, our heterojunction solar cells, combined with our smart wire technology for our, our, our moduling. That's, that's kind of what we do. We do those two big pieces, cell and module. And that's what we have in Germany and, and soon to be in the U.S. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100KW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. I know this is different based on the way that things are, uh, each individual user's sort of setup or what they're solving for. But is there a way to baseline for the, the average Joe if, if I'm asking you this question at a coffee shop, like just trying to figure out how this industry works uh, as, a, as a VC or whatever, is there a way to baseline the per X cost to stand up a manufacturing facility, like per line, per gigawatt? How, do you, how would one think about that? So what I want to do is give folks the ability as we unpack this conversation to understand the scale of investment required just to stand up one line of manufacturing, let alone a whole manufacturing plant? Sometimes it's technology driven a little bit that, that, that determines it and determines whether or not you're talking about a cell line or a, a, a module line. You know, for us, I think a good estimate is, uh, you know, you've got facility, you've got everything required to get it done. You're not just buying a bunch of tools and now you've got your toys. You got to put the Legos together, as they say. Uh, I would say, you know, the way that we can articulate is a couple hundred million per gigawatt on the on the mod on the cell on the probably half that or so give or take you know uh, for the module. That's how you would you know that's a good thumb thumb rule for for yeah. for that. And most people like to talk about that hundred million per gigawatt. Um, it would be arguable that there's a small amount of premium over a common perk line today versus the the next line technologies, whether it be header junction or top kind for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know we. We will I think it's well worth the investment for sure in terms of the yeah. ROI. But yeah, when people say, how do I, what does that look like? When you're talking about a gigawatt facility, you just throw hundred million out there, a, a, a cell line, a hundred, hundred, you know, 200 million, somewhere in that range. So someone's going to say, Hey, look, I'm putting in five to 10 gigawatts. They're putting in a billion dollars, right? For sure. That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. 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 What that scale looks like, especially if they're doing it at the cell level, right? Cause yeah. you're already easily, even if they have better, um, somehow, uh, lower pricing, or cost uh, stack, it's a quarter million dollars per line if you're doing cell plus module. Yes, um, yeah. and almost everyone's going at least four gigawatts, right? I mean, this not yeah. at this point. Yeah, you 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 have to hit a scale, and that's a, that's the important part about it is you recognize. And for us, our, our, our traditionally we kind of looked at it from a hub and spoke model that you would put ten gigawatts of cell in one place and put the moduling in strategic locations throughout the world. For a lot of different reasons, not not the least of which is the sustainability of shipping, you know, m- multiple products across the world. 
and you need to get scale on a on a, a gigawatt, multi gigawatts uh, uh, scale for for cell. And you know, we're we're looking at that obviously here in the U.S. and how how far we can go. And Gunter Erford, our CEO, said a few things, and we're exploring to this point even another three gigawatt expansion ourselves. If folks are trying to understand the taxonomy, where Meyerberger as a company fits, so if if I say it's the Intel inside. Hmm. Well, folks can wrap their head around like there's AMD and there's Intel. There's like maybe three or four chip manufacturers that mm-hmm. compete with Intel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now with AI, it's kind of like NVIDIA and everyone else. Um, right, right. What is that? Can you give any picture? It could be just in terms of numbers, like there's two or three more or like nobody else is from you know Europe or how does that taxonomy work? Yeah, well, when you think about it from that perspective, you know, it's more like you're kind of looking at things in the terms of even back in the VHS days. Was it VHS or beta? Which direction are you going to go? Um, but but I, I would like to say for us, we've got a ton of experience in the technology that we're utilizing. It's the technology that we picked for a reason. There are reasons that we, why we did that. Um, but and that's the heterojunction technology. The heterojunction technology, right? We we're there are many people who are seeing it as a future technology. But the reality is, it's not a new technology. It's been around for over for over a decade. Uh, yeah. You know, it started in the hit modules with Sanyo, then became Panasonic, and then when it became all of IP, then we got a hold of it and really put uh, put uh, and on uh, steroids, as they like to say. And and we've got a lot of IP in that technology, heterojunction, and the capability ingrained with our smart wire capabilities, which really allow yeah. us to be able to do more with it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. What are my are my options? Another U.S. manufacturer or another European manufacturer? In Europe, it's 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 pretty tight. It's pretty tough. It's a tough market overall. There's a lot of people talking, but they, they they've got a lot of actions still required. I think at the broader level, at the, on the policy side, that are going to help to support it. But we went for it. We're we're going for it. And we believe it. And and the truth of the matter is, is we have always said that the U.S. is a strategic market for us. Now it's become a very strategic market, not only from a supplying product but also making product as well and there, there's a, there's a few players out here there's a lot of people saying that they're bringing cell and module to the u.s there's a few that i know for sure will do it and and the others i'm gonna see it when i, I believe it when i see it so to speak but, is a, a few of them are customers so it's a yes, it's, we'll, yes. we'll get into the dynamic of yep. that in a, in uh in the sort of latter part of this conversation Sure. But when you think about, you know, I, when I worked at Trina, was very familiar with Meyerberger because Trina is a customer. And yep. um, I remember the first time somebody said, yeah, that Meyerberger module. And I was like, wait, sorry, come again. Mm-hmm. Meyer, Meyerberger, yeah. what? Um, yeah. What needed to be true for that yeah. forward integration to happen? I would like to say that it was just uh, something that was, you know, a planned evolution of, of the company. But, but the reality is, is that, from that 2010-12 range, and when we said we need to scale, and, and quite frankly, companies like Trina and others were ready to you know, ring that bell and, and support the global market for scaling. At the end of the day, over the decade, the number of customers available to the tool manufacturer, Meyer Berger, right? The, yeah. That aperture continued to close and close and close and close until finally... You know, the last of the U.S. guys were kind of, at least from a cell perspective, of course, were kind of shutting down. And and then next thing you know, from a heterojunction technology and that technology pivot, which, you know, we've been we've been at it for a decade almost, you know, in yeah. terms of yeah. developing that that technology. 
it uh, it came down to one client, if you want to call it that, said we want it, and that one client was China, right? They said so. There was a lot of demand for that. Meyer Burger has some history, not great history, in dealing with selling tools uh, to China, uh, and so at that moment there was a pivot point in our company. And that pivot point, ultimately, we went to our shareholders and we had, hey, here's our strategy. This is what we're going to do. They accepted that strategy and invested in us. And, and now we've decided to pivot. And, and quite frankly, we really believe that this is a, it was the best path for us. And we're, we're excited about it because it allows us to continue to develop technology. And it also allows us to develop very interesting partnerships but now we come at it from both sides. We're, we're developing the technology. We're also developing the modules and, and uh, we can approach it a little bit differently. So we're very interested in that. But that, that you know, it was, a, it was a necessity thing. And you look at it, all the, the value chain within solar, as you know, for sure, there's, there's somewhere the, the 98 plus percent available here type of thing is, is uh, what we were dealing with. And we decided to give it a, give it a shot to say, we'll do it ourselves. I want to touch a bit on the HJT technology because we've done some interviews featuring how N-Type TopCon is replacing Perk in the marketplace and <clears throat> I feel that there's always that there's always that module that's on the fringe and people are waiting for that next evolution and so it's fun to see how this technology that I believed in Back when I first started my first solar company, 2006, uh, I was buying Sanyo hit modules. Um, I, you know, I, I was selling unisolar modules big. I mean, I was just looking at how do we maximize. It didn't make sense to me that we weren't harvesting. We didn't have bifacial in the United States. We had it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. We weren't harvesting back, back panel or the back of panel mm -hmm. light reflected off the roof. Um, I was working for a roofing company that was installing a lot of, um, you know, white vinyl roof and, um, and I was watching Unisol or sorry, uh, um, Solyndra and others start to sort of catch up on this thing and realizing, wow, Sanyo is way ahead of its time. And as a result, the tooling and the market um, sort of downward pressure on silicon is not going to allow this to succeed. Um, you pointed out that Panasonic picked it up and sort of tried to run with it. Talk to me about the decision to... So to go with HJT at a corporate level and how you at inside of Meyer Burger take the innovation and the R&D of what you've been doing and integrate it into this product that you know the market wants, that it's proven technology. And now it's, it's like, it's like, I look at it and it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to get like answer the question in a second, but it's like everybody knew that the Pringles can was the best way to package chips to keep them from breaking. Right. Right now you look around and literally like every manufacturer, including Doritos now makes a Pringle style can. Why? Cause the IP expired. Right. And right, right. so we were all just sort of waiting around to see who's going to carry the torch. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. Well, you brought up a, uh, the great point at the time when these technologies were starting to evolve, it was about the time that the, the markets really started collapsing in terms of the value happened there. And, a lot of people got upside down, so to speak. But um, uh, the reality is, uh, from from our perspective, you know, Sanyo had that technology. It was invented. It was well ahead of its time. Totally agreed with that. And then uh, we, you know, we we picked it up and we advanced it. We've looked at what we believe not only can get us where we are today, 
but has the natural way to get us to tomorrow. And that's why we feel that the Edo Junction technology is uh, supremely fitted to support the future technologies. You know, for us, we've already announced the the, the IBC modules that we're, we are developing and the cells that we're developing in the factory. And we're going to be launching that. What does that mean? Feel, IBC? Uh, the interdigitized back content, the back sun power type right. technology, yep. the, 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 um, Max so you're Zeon integrating technology. now the SunPower technology that also was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've you know, publicly told people that we're doing that and, and we're, we're moving forward. And we, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak too greatly about where we'll start off, but, you know, we're definitely thinking in the 24, 25% range is, you know, easy to get there. And yeah, we've also, we've also shown an interesting little uh, thing that we've shown is we've had it in the labs for a long time, years. And we're seeing no degradation or very little to no degradation at all. And so very interested in what that's going to look like uh, over time. And, and, yeah. and so that's the head junctions for that, right? And, and quite frankly, if you were starting from a green, so in my mind, if you're starting from greenfield, if you're starting from zero, there's a little bit more investment, but it's really what you want to go for because it's the best thing. Topcon yeah. is a continuation of the existing technology that's there today, PERC. And it's definitely got some uh, advancements to it, and it's going to get it closer to Edo Junction. But I think a lot of the big driver for that is because of the infrastructure that's already there. A lot of folks talk about the utilization of existing infrastructure for oil and gas and the resistance in oil and gas to move into, uh, to abandon that infrastructure they've spent all this time building because there's still useful life of it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah. you know, these stranded assets and there's a lot, uh, that has been invested and subsidized to yes. build the infrastructure that need yes. that, that these, I mean, the, the, all of that is born on the backs of tax dollars, taxpayers in all these countries, not, not just the U S and China. Right. That's right. That's um, right. You announced as well that you have a framework agreement with D.E. Shaw. I just want to touch on these two points, the HOT and D.E. Shaw, because I think they underscore, underscore the ability, um, or really the, like the, the technology and the requirement to seed that technology with a customer as prerequisites for being, uh, being able to come to market the way that you have. Can you talk a bit about that agreement? I will say this. We stepped into the market. We started speaking with, with partners, potential partners, and you know, of course, we're still speaking to them now, and, and, and we have others as well. Uh, we, we publicly you know, talked about Baywa. You know, we're definitely partnering with Baywa on the project, Baywa Reed project side of their business, as well yeah. as Inca, the parent company for IKEA. We're partnering with them. And, um, but the reality is uh, D. Shaw or Desri, D. Shaw Renewable Investments Group, the Desri Group in particular, mm -hmm. who's focused on this, um, the leadership within that organization is, is top-notch, you know, bar none. They are visionaries in my mind. They understand the marketplace. They, you know, um, they come from other industries within the energy. Uh, so they understand thermal and, and other, and they understand how from that perspective with it, with or without us, they understand how to drive uh, the development of power generation with, within the, within the U S and what was interesting to see is to be honest, our first conversations centered around the fact that we had announced we were making modules and their technology team, the technology leadership, all they could talk about is we go to factories all over the world and we see your machines everywhere we go. Mm, right. Yeah. And so they felt that you guys 
can do this. You know what you're doing. And, you know, we're aggressively make sure that we support all of our partners and really got their input, to be honest with you, on where we're going and how we're getting there. It was that right time. It was that interesting place in the, in the solar history, if you might say, not traditional of how you start the market in terms of utility scale. Um, a little bit of security, uh, diversification, of course, and, and the fact that we really believe that we provide the lowest levelized cost of energy with our technology. And, and uh, it takes customers to also understand and see that. And quite frankly, it's out of their comfort zone. And uh, Desri, the DeShaw team, is one of those who are willing to, to step out. And their technical teams uh, and their partners on the technical side are, are definitely you know, world-class, top-notch. And they hold us to, uh, to account. And then that's what we want. We want we want partners who are, are free with us, and you know we they come to Europe. We come here. Uh, we talk openly. They've supported us. They supported us not only on the module side when they you know we announced our agreement, but when we had the opportunity for the cell piece too. And we can talk about that. But that that was uh, they were with us. They we in fact their leadership went with us, and we met with the governor. And, and so that was it was a great time. So. I like to think of them as not just a customer, but they are truly are. They they are all of our guys. All of our customers are are these utility scale customers are truly partners of ours. So the agreement with DE Shaw for those who are unfamiliar announced um, back uh, last year, I think, right? Yeah, October about a year ago is um, somewhere between four and five gigawatts of commitment. And uh, how much did you feel like you needed to secure before you could confidently say, okay, let's open a factory here in Americas? That's a tough question. I, we, we always said we were coming to the U.S., so that was never okay. – we announced that before, to be honest yeah. with you. I will tell you this. Um, we looked at a factory that could fit – well, at the time, we looked at a factory that, we hey, we think we can get a gigawatt in there. And then it says, we could squeeze a gigawatt and a half, and finally – our operations team and our project management team, who are world class again, uh, on our side of the the ledger, um, said we can get two two gigawatts out of yeah. out of a plant. So, but the reality is, we had said we're coming to the U.S. and that was not an unknown thing. And but we yeah. talked about 500 megawatts, our first line. So the facility was big okay. enough. But what Desri allowed us to do, and quite frankly, at the time we announced the Desri deal, is when the the Inflation Reduction Act hit as well. So kind of this perfect storm. And we, we put the hammer down and said, we're going to go full tilt. We're going to put all the lines. We have, we'll have three lines in Goodyear. And we said, we're going to put them all in. So that, that was the big driver. Uh, following up with uh, Baywa and uh, Inca as well helped really seal that deal. So, you know, for the most part, those two utility lines are spoken for for the next five years. Yeah. And you got about seven gigawatts locked up, locked up I understand, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just under, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's the, our kind of, ring the bell moment right now is that we've got up to 6.7 gigawatts and that's a tremendous uh i mean i mean what a tremendous testament to the team that you've built and the trust in the in the brand that's been built um to be able to lock that in as you are building out uh your facilities i mean many many of your peers are uh are announcing factories um and and not at the scale that you guys are uh, already locking up commitments. So congratulations on that. I'd like to take a slight turn in the conversation and talk more uh, artists about you than Meyer Berger for a minute, if that's okay. Sure. You were born and raised in Texas. That's right. The great state of Texas. (laughs) Great state. Eventually uh, every Texan comes to terms with the fact that they have to be a United States citizen. And, uh, (laughs) 
Yes. Tell me about the the. Tell me about your childhood. Uh, your dad grew, uh, was in oil and gas. I mean, it put yeah. food on your table. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's the thing I like to tell people is that oil and gas has put food on my family's table for four generations, and including mine, to be honest with you. And and I've, yeah. I've, I, uh, you know, it's it's a thing in the state of Texas. Uh, you can be in West Texas and you can own an oil company and it it's like owning a, your own contractor business almost. And not, wow. not every company is a Chevron in terms of that, right? right? We can have drillers mm-hmm. that are, that are, I don't want to use the words mom and pop shops, but my family, my, my wife's family as well, for sure. Yeah. Are, are so many are still in the oil and gas industry. And, and it's interesting because people think synonymously of uh, oil and gas being completely opposite of, uh, of renewable energy, but in the sense of power generation, I think Texans get it. They understand. Mm-hmm. You see the adoption of solar. I mean, of of wind. We went from zero to twelve gigawatts, kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. you know, the market conditions were right. The the um, you know, instead of having one cow per ten acres in the middle of the desert, you could have wind farms on there, and and people yeah. understand that math, and they and they get it. So yeah, it, I it, I have interesting conversations uh with the family even still today but to be honest with you even the most diehard you know the ones that are older than me so to speak i like to say they're very interested and they get it and and it's it's no longer an if it's a it's a yes so wow yeah and anybody who spends any time in houston in in any sort of networking mm-hmm. capacity or going to any of the events reuters or sarah mm-hmm. week or otherwise the energy yeah. transition is the lead conversation, not the must also have kind of conversation, which two years ago when I was at Sarah, it was like, it was almost like kicking and screaming. They knew it was kind of the last year yeah. they could pull it off without talking about the energy transition front and center. Right, um, right. That was like, close the door. Let's talk about this. But it, in the open, it was. They, they try to hide it. But yeah. Yeah. No, I, so, I have tons of conversations with energy companies all the time about how, how they're mm-hmm. going to get into the game and we as a manufacturing technology, how how do we work together and participate? So very interesting. Yeah. Were you raised in a, a rather close knit family? What was the kind of, what was the I fabric was, of that? Yeah. I mean, for, for my, my immediate family was, was small. I have one brother, you know, mm-hmm. family, mom and dad, and uh, m- both parents of course worked and we were, we were latchkey kids or whatever mm-hmm. you called it back in the seventies the and eighties. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but, uh, but very, very tight, very supportive family. Uh, the kind of family that, you know, allowed you to go out and, do things and try and, and, and failure was okay. Right. Yeah. So that's what, and that, that bleeds over. And then of course, within my a family, we have many, many more uh, cousins and uncles. And we tend to, you know, try to be in the same area. Yeah. My, my family's home in West Texas. Um, we, you look up and it's like, we've, you know, greater families, like 50, 60 people come to Thanksgiving with, that's right. You know, you got the County judge over there. You got the mayor over there. It's, it's an interesting uh, dynamic dynamic so, for sure it's a it's a hey i, I grew up in the south and uh, i know what that feels like 17 yeah. uh grandkids and yeah. now all the grandkids have kids and yeah it's yeah. it's a whole community thing uh make for a big adventure for a family reunion but for sure it certainly certainly does um artists there is i feel like there's a um a distinct difference in households that have uh that have a military or a government service background. And I recall that there is a, a service background both generationally in your family. 
Can you talk about the influence of that on just the way that you came up in life? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you can even go back to my, you know, my grandparents. And I guess most people that look at that could say from World War II, they served there. But, you know, for me, for that touch point, my father uh, was a two-tour Marine Corps veteran, uh, went, went to, you know, volu- you know, signed up during Vietnam as a Marine, went over, came back after his tour of duty, had some tragedies at home and family stuff. So, you know, you can imagine a young 20 something year old man that's, uh, decides to on a spur to go back and mm-hmm. he went back and did it twice. And, wow. you know, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was, it's incredible because he was very, um, stoic about those things, but, uh, and so very firm in the way that he had expectations, Yeah, but it was pretty easy because you just didn't, you didn't, you didn't do those and mistakes were okay. That wasn't what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking yeah. about is, you know, do the right thing <laughs> kind of attitude yeah. and everything's going to be okay. But you always knew, like I said, I think he had a different view on life in terms of enjoying the joy of, of being, being there. I think that was uh, very hard for him. Lost a lot of friends, but he, he definitely, we didn't talk about it much, but he definitely, it influenced me because it, more about what he cared about for me, but also drove me to think about what I was going to do with my future. It drove me to actually, when I left college, I went to, I joined the Navy. Uh, I spent five years in the Navy before I began my professional life. And it, that's had a profound yeah. influence on me, of course, for sure as well. And, uh, but, uh, yeah. And then my kid, my, my oldest is in college now and he talks about maybe one day going, which is a really odd thing. You think about 19, 20 year olds, they're not talking about military, not most of them. And he's, you know, he's not dead set on it. I wouldn't say that so for sure, but he he's definitely sees that uh, it gave me a lot of opportunity in life and positioned me in a way uh, to, to understand stress and, and to value teamwork and to value each individual uh, as well. That's, that's a big part of it, uh, uh, the military for sure. And it, it definitely influenced me. And that's, and that's what I grew up in. I grew up in that environment where everyone was valued. Everyone had this, but there was a mission, right? And you're, you're, you're going to, here's the mission. We all, we all are on board. Everyone shakes their head. Yes. Then we go. So that's how we do it. In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself see how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey friends, I have a proposition for you. Instead of freezing your tail off like I am here in North Carolina, why don't you jump on a plane, come to San Diego, January 17th to 19th, and hang out with us at InterSolar. InterSolar North America and Energy Storage North America, as you're probably aware, one of the premier U.S.-based trade show and conferences focused on solar energy storage and EV charging infrastructure. Suncast listeners can get free 
access to the expo hall by using the code SUNCAST at intersolar.us. That code will also get you 20% off your conference pass to learn, connect, and conduct business with the most innovative companies in the solar and energy storage business. Go to intersolar.us, use the code SUNCAST. And hey, don't forget to stick around all the way through Friday because yours truly may be on stage at the Solar Games. Come check it out. See you in San Diego. Before we get into post-Navy, was there ever a career path that you always thought you'd go down? Never did? The military for me was kind of a, oops, uh, just decided to kind of do it. Uh, I had an opportunity. They were going to pay me while I was still in college. So I don't want to tell people that I was excited about going in, into the military. I never really thought about it until my dad called me when I was a junior in college and said, hey, they reached out to me. They want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, I always thought that I would, um, you know, at that time when I was getting, it's interesting because you think, what's your career path going to be? A lot of people want to do certain things when they grow up. A lot of people are influenced by the time uh, in the industry. You know, when, when I was graduating from yeah. college in those days, it was computer worlds were just getting started, right? Emails yeah. were just getting introduced in, in, mm-hmm. in the early 90s. And that was something that I was very interested in. And I had some friends that were going out to California and they heard of these companies. <laughs> I look back on some of this. I'm like, wow, what, what direction did I go? But, uh, you know, I, I tell you that I was an engineer by degree. But I always knew that uh, that I was going to do something that was engaging and, and being with people. And when I went to the military, that you, I was on an aircraft carrier, so you were you were with a lot of people all the time. And uh, um, but but that that's what I always dreamed about at those days. Is looking back, because you know I talked about internet. There's this thing that they were talking about, and I talked about email, and t- I had friends going up this place called Silicon Valley, and uh, going to go explore it and try it out. And that was a uh, that, that was something I look back and say, what if, so to speak. But, you know, life takes you where it goes. So I could walk people through your experience and try to summarize it for you. But you've been in pretty much all facets of energy uh, yeah. in your life. Your dad working in midstream oil and gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you in the Navy, in fact, worked in energy. Could you talk about the influence of uh, the, the the different influences that pushed you into energy and how you began to develop early career around that skill? Yeah, for sure. I, my, my job in the Navy was a, a nuclear surface warfare officer. And so essentially you ran a power plant and, and as well as drove the ship, you do, you do all the above, but uh, that's, I got introduced to power generation at that moment and it was, it was fairly new, uh, but it was an intense uh, engagement to mm-hmm. naval reactors, 500 plus megawatts, uh, reactors wow. that are that are powering not only the electricity but the the steam and the thermal ability to drive the ship the propulsion as well i I knew that I liked that industry, and so when I came out, there were opportunities to go somewhere different getting recruited you go to recruiter events when you leave the when you leave the mm-hmm. military you know transitioning junior officers do that and I could go to pharmaceutical or I could do this or I could maybe go into a, a more application field engineering. And I had an opportunity to go get in a, a leadership program at GE. It was called the G, GE Junior Officer Leadership Program, JLLP. And it was pretty much designated to the energy group. The energy business there was at that time uh, headquartered in Schenectady, New York. And I thought, mm, I don't know about mm-hmm. that. And then they flipped down to Atlanta, Georgia. And when that happened, I said, yes, I could do that. And I, I got out. 
I got into a program. Their expectation, I believe, was that I'd go run a power plant because that's what I did in the Navy. Yeah. <laughs> but interestingly enough, I was free labor and you did three eight-month rotations. So I did my first rotation. Everyone did this, what they called the quality role, the Six Sigma. Everyone was into that in those right. days, the master black belt, black belt roles. And we had to get that certification. But when my next rotation came up, I went to my rotation officer and I asked her, I said, can I do, can I, do I have to go? Can I pick what I want? And she said, you can go wherever you want if someone will take you. So I started uh, going into our career opportunity system, seeing jobs were open. I started smiling and dialing. I started looking at things that I would be interested in. And there was an opportunity to get into sales in Southern California. And I called the manager there and he said, you have no experience. You don't know how to do anything. And I told him, I'm free and I have a TNL card. And he said, come on. <laughs> so, What's TNL? Uh, a travel and living card. I had a credit card. I had the, I had the card. The, I, I could go and spend the money. Uh, it was paid for out of not their budget, so to speak. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, so so I, I went out to the, um, the West Coast. Went out at a very interesting time. It happened right. I was there right as the deregulation was happening. Enron was happening. The powers are spiking high. I was dealing with customers who wanted you know, GE, uh, we were in the energy side. We, were made, we made gas turbines, and stream turbines, and, and electrification uh, uh, equipment. But I was in the turbine business. I was in the power generation, thermal side of the business, power turbine business. And they, uh, you could not, we had backlog for, for, for decades, so to speak, yeah. and very large customers. And people were trying to get power as fast as they could. And we were coming up with creative solutions to do some sort of rental agreements with, with different types of more mobile technology. And mobile's a kind of a, you know, not really an accurate word because you have to hook up gas lines and everything, but you weren't That's building right. the infrastructure of a plant. I get out there and three months later, everything collapses. So I spent, I spent the next few months uh, backing, working through some contracts. And I don't know if you've ever seen a General Electric contract, but it's, it's pretty rock solid for General Electric, especially when the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the customer needed something. So um, that's some massive utilities that looked us right in the eyes and said, I'll pay you these liquidated damages, but I'll never buy anything from you again. You can imagine that was trial by fire for me, junior yeah. guy. Not knowing anything, just out of it's the your door. job to negotiate the outs on these contracts. Yeah, yeah, I was essentially the the fodder that they you know, they were. Hey, get in there, man, and and good luck. Yeah. Uh, but to be honest with you, I excelled in that because it's about engaging with individuals, getting past the emotion, finding a, a mutual agreement, coming to an understanding, recognizing what the long term implications are, and reacting to that. And I'm telling you. I was put there mysteriously, but for a reason, that's exactly how you are in the Navy, right? And and in the Navy, yeah. you could be in some really high stress situations, but but you're driving a, a, a multi-billion dollar aircraft carrier. You've got to be able to react. And, uh, you know, I was the officer of the deck on the, on, so I drove, I was on the deck a lot driving the ship or, you know, the team yeah. was driving the ship. Wow. So that gave me a lot of, uh, I don't know, natural ability not unnatural ability, but, but, but it was, I, I was comfortable in that situation. So worked through that. And then, uh, yeah, then, then went through a couple more rotations and I, to be honest with you, I never left sales after that. They, they wanted me to be engineer, yeah. go run a plant, but, uh, I always felt from my perspective, this is, I felt like, you know, you put on that coat, it felt comfortable. You know? Yeah. I talk a lot about how folks, um, try to skip to the end and they don't learn the fundamentals. 
one of the yeah. ways. Uh, and, and so I say, look, you you could go, you could work for any startup you want. But if you want to add value to a startup, go work for Clorox or Procter & Gamble or GE. Get in rotation in their management training programs. Go work yeah. for Google or Amazon yeah. or Apple. Learn mm-hmm. what a real corporation looks like. You want to be in the power sector, go work for a utility. Yeah. Go work for an IPP. Yeah. A major one. Go find, go get a job at Brookfield. Go get a job mm-hmm. at TransCanada, right? Learn what the gas industry looks like. What do you feel uh, is is missing in that regard that you probably learned as a um, as an engineer and a sales director at a company like GE where you really got to understand how the power sector works? Like w- what advice would you give folks that are considering a job in clean energy m- coming out of some other sector or maybe coming out of school? Yeah, for sure. To understand that, uh, what I like to tell people is eventually our industry is going to catch up and act like more traditional energy in terms of how you engage it, how it is sourced, how it's managed. And we have an environment where it is, uh, it is a 40-year startup, so to speak. That, that is the solar industry. And, it, and, and it's unfortunate because We've not allowed ourselves to really establish that rigor that you get in other industries. The the, the issues that I feel that we are having, you just don't see on the turbine side of the business. You don't see it in in other parts of critical pieces of equipment for our infrastructure, right? That's the one thing I I really like about energy is because it, it touches all of our lives. There's no one in the world that doesn't understand energy. In, in the sense that yeah. I have electricity, I have power, I have lights, I have everything. And and so um, maybe not knowing how it works necessarily, but it's not something foreign to them. That What is, what is energy? You know, no, you'll never hear anyone ask that question. But um, for people, especially if they've not, if they've kind of grown up, started off maybe at an installer and has moved their way through that, you know, that that's more of the contractor world. And it's a critical piece of it. It's an important mm-hmm. piece of it. But for us, we look at it. If you're coming to us as a manufacturer, think about this. We have got to get in a place where things become more normalized in how we approach not only the, the development stage, but the procurement stage and everything else. And, and people don't recognize that. And, and just the fundamentals, like you said earlier, I brought a lot from GE that you don't even know you bring. Right? You That's have right. no idea that it's, in, it's a critical, important piece and, and how it works from a functionality, from a process perspective. And uh, it, how many six, six, of, how many black belts are there in yeah uh, in right, Six Sigma right. in the solar right. industry? A lot yeah, more now, not, but not a lot of that going on. Uh, yeah, but but I think part of that is going to be required for us to be able to have a stable industry. We're going to have to have a stable industry in order for us to 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 allow us to grow. You know, put the roots in that to get those things. Yeah, we've got some science experts that know how to make tools and know how to make these uh, technologies. So the actual pieces and parts are one thing, but just the mechanics from the time it's made mm-hmm. to the time you recycle it 25 years later, how, right. how does that all work and, and how do we make it normal? And that's where we lose people. People come yeah. in and then it's gone and then they're up and then it's gone again. And, and, and we've just been taking a beating and I, it's hard for me to go out. I think I should go get a quality person that's outside of even the, you know, obviously we have QA, QC, quality people on the line, but I'm talking about organizationally speaking. I don't know if anybody's going to come work in QA uh, quality 
in our in our world when they don't know you know they don't feel confident it's not a as stable as a as a GE and the truth of the matter is you look at GE they had to restructure and reorganize themselves I arrived at General Electric right in September of 2000 and the stock split three for one went to sixty eight dollars at that point so it was a, what it was worth one hundred eighty at that it was the best of times and then for the ten years that I was there it was boom, it was all down and. But big oh companies goodness. can restructure. They can re-look, and they're doing yeah. a great job now. Let me ask you a sort of an inverse question. Yeah. Uh, what would people in oil and gas, your dad's friends, uh, your uncles mm-hmm. and cousins, be most surprised about in their transition to work for a solar company or a battery storage company? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's. I I would think they would be as shocked because they're not really paying attention. They're they're, they're shocked yeah. that how the math really works. Mm. That actually, that it's 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 a stable part of what I'd call, as, as the President George W. Bush would say, you know, all the above mix, right? Kind of attitude. They don't yeah. really, they haven't really believed it, and, and now they're seeing it for the first time from a different lens. And yeah. they would, when I explain it the way I explain it to them, that everyone I know gets excited about it because they know that it's no different than West Texas and air conditioning. No yeah. air conditioning, no West Texas, right? That's what I right. tell people. But I tell them it's like TVs and air conditioning, solar panels at the at the resident at the homeowner level or the, the facility level is is going to be a thing that in 15, 20 years people are like, well, of course you have solar. It's part of the integrated solution of a of a of a yeah. home and uh, of a business. So you know they there's um there's a shared pain when it comes to oil and gas in terms of the ups and downs of of the value of a West Texas crude, uh, which is the driver for all oil prices, you know, as far as I know, globally. But uh, it, it is um, it is something that uh, people recognize that there needs to be more diversity in the supply of energy. And, and now they realize that, oh, you're not taking my job, right? I mean, maybe, maybe someday, but not anytime soon, right? We have a long way to go in order to transform our our whole industry, the vehicle industry, the home industry, the, the business industry, there's a long way to go for, that oil and gas is going to have some legs, but it still needs as much, as much solar as we can produce. I don't even think 40 gigawatts is enough uh, yeah. a, a year is what we're going to need. So um, that's, that's uh, interesting. Did you know what you were getting into when you were recruited to be the vice president of sales at Solar World? No. At the time that you were being recruited? I will tell you. Um, over time, you get you get a lot of recruiters, headhunters. They'll contact you and reach out to you. And, and uh, I wasn't definitely not actively looking for a role to, to leave. And I got a recruiter hit me up and talked to me about this company, Solar World, and sent me some information. And I read a little bit of the information. It was more internal marketing about the company, and I didn't really do any external research about what was going on at the time around 2011 and 12 and 13. In terms of the industry and, and and Solar World's position with within that, and quite frankly, I just wanted to go to LA for a weekend and hang out. So I said, "Yeah, I'll come interview." I'm I'm being dead honest with you. You're going to tell people this too. Is yeah, I flew into Solar World uh-huh. and and the the HR manager he he brought me in and said, "Of course, you know all of our history and everything that's going on and how critical we are to the to the solar." And and I was like, "I don't have, I had no idea what he was talking about." So. I I interviewed there, left, and thought, okay, that was cool. And then 
I got reached. Then Germany wanted to. Solar World was a German-based company as well, right? And they they wanted to interview mm-hmm. me, and I killed it. The interview. I mean, I, I I nailed it. But the and we had third-party people coming in doing scenarios with me, doing all kinds of things, and everything they were trying to do to me was something that I naturally did on a day-to-day basis. I didn't really even prepare at all for it. In fact. They came to me during my in-between sessions and I was on my phone working. I was doing things and they were like, oh, you should be studying for this next prep session. And I said, I got this one. Because quite frankly, I I dealt when I was at GE, we had international uh, manufacturing. We had international businesses. I dealt with, right. you know, I had to go to Mexico. I had to go to Europe. And, and, and you know, there's the yeah. language barriers. There's the, there's the cultural barriers. Those are things you have to overcome. And I knew this. I recognized those. And I, it was something that I was naturally ingrained with. Not because I'm somebody special, just because that's what you did. It's you, trained. Yeah. You got trained to do it and learned about it. So then I took that job and then I was thrown into the mix big time. Yeah. yeah. So that was a, that was an interesting time. You know, solar world, uh, I could see where we were. We had the, I mean, we had a great team of leaders, great, great manufacturing, mm-hmm. uh, great, uh, great story. It's just a very tough time. Very tough time. Yeah. So at the time, uh, connect the dots between joining Solar World in uh, just outside Portland and mm-hmm. uh, and getting to know the Meyer Burger team. Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, the dots are really close there for a few of us. Um, the the Meyer Burger team, many of them have some history at Solar World, and in fact, when I took the job at Solar World, we had an organizational uh, the commercial organization was down in Camarillo. Uh, LA mm-hmm. area. And, yep. and that's where I interviewed, by the way. And the factory mm-hmm. was just getting built up in, uh, in Oregon and leading that charge up there was a guy named Gunther Erfurt, uh, who, mm-hmm. who, uh, was, was in Oregon. I was with the company for about two or three months when they came in and said, we're reorganizing, we're shutting down Camarillo. You're now, you now run every part of that organization instead of just the yeah. cells. I had everything and we're relocating to Oregon. I had told them I wasn't going to leave Dallas to come to LA, but they were like, would you be on board with going there? And it was crazy because not everybody was asked to come up there, but it was really tough for me to tell, ask people to move and me not be willing to do it. So I took a lot of time, talked to, you know, my wife and we we made the decision to do it. It was, it was interesting. We went up there and I'm going to, this is how I'm going to tell you how I see it. You know, I was waiting for school to get out. It's important to kind of give you this little, background here i was waiting yeah. for school to get out to move my family but i went i started around our november time frame uh we did this transition and right. I'll, I'll be honest with you I, I think they were giving us six months they were kind of checking the boxes oh wow and we got in uh we were essentially a new leadership team but they had two presidents before both presidents mm-hmm. exited and mukesh dulani was the vice president of operations and he became the president I, be, you know, was, I became the vice president of commercial team. And, uh, we, we were in a room with, uh, with, with our leadership team. Uh, and uh, man, we spent a lot of time together and, and I was there, like, I wouldn't even go home on weekends. So I would be there wow. for two weeks and then no, go I home don't. for a few days and there for two weeks. And, and this is with kids in there, like in the, kids, the, the, right. Right. And you had four I'll, kids in the, yeah. in the like the eight to 12 time, time frame, I guess. Yes. Yes. That's right. Yep. And I, and that, that's exactly right. My, my, when I took, when I moved to Portland, I came home and told her, my wife, 
she told me at the same time she was pregnant with our fourth. So that was a, a very, yeah, there were, there were some tears shed at that point, but yeah, we, we, uh, we, we've, we've thrived from it. I'll tell you that we've got a great, we had a great experience in Portland. We have lifelong friends from, from living up there, but yeah, it was, it, it took that leadership team, you know, Mukesh and, um, you know, Gary Starr was our procurement leader and, and these guys have gone on and done great things even outside of the industry. Steve Petchus was our vice president of operations and Sally yeah. Gillig was our HR manager. And I really, I mean, I only say those names because it's, I had a lot of respect for those people. We spent yeah. a lot of time together and it took them, we believed, we believed when Germany, I'll be honest with you, they did not believe. And we yeah. went from about 50 megawatts and grew the heck out of that business. And at the same time, we were lighting some trade cases here and there too. Just a few. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, as, as there are um, ups, uh, there are a lot of downs in careers. You walked into a, a firestorm at mm. Solar World and, and managed it admirably. Mm. Um, and you're, you know, I think that the career trajectory for folks, you learn as much about the things that go sideways as the things yeah. that go up. Um, yep. I've, I've personally worked for a few companies that have gone under and, yeah. Uh, have gotten my third, fourth, fifth MBAs um, mm-hmm. in the real world, the school of hard knocks. Yep. There's a lot we could talk about in the transition between Solar World and Meyer Berger. You worked at Tesla, JLM, Baker Hughes, kind of going back to a GE company and back to oil and gas for a bit. Yep. Um, the one that stands out to me, though, uh, and, and I know you got a ton of other stories, is JLM. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked early about Sanyo being a company that was ahead of its time. What can you tell me about what you learned in the three years at JLM where you kind of left at the pinnacle of your career and went to a startup, which is yeah. what I advise people to do is get it as much as you can before yeah. you go to a startup so you can add yeah. as much value as possible. Yeah. Well, I, I'd hope that uh, Fareed, the, 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 the guy- We that, had Fareed on the show. Yeah, Fareed, the Yeah, Fareed would, the would say that I, I, I brought some of that insight to him. Um, you know, we go, we, go, we go way back and, I, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I left Solar World. I got recruited away to go to Tesla, and that's important for the JLM story. Um, and I, boy, I avoided it for a long time, to be honest. Be, you know, get over there, and the whole world's trying to get there and wanted to work for this company. And right, and I, it, it took them literally six months to convince me to to say yes. Um, sort of. I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that I was the guy, but I mean, it took six months for us to come to yes, I'm willing to do this, and I went over there. Had a, had a ton of success, uh, but you know, I didn't. Some of the things that we were doing weren't aligned with what I how I saw it, and so uh, ended up leaving. And I was, I just want to take a pause. You know, I'm kind of uh, don't know what I'm going to do. We, I'm living at this point in Reno, uh, Nevada, and I had a friend of mine said, "Hey, you should go visit with Fareed, and he's got a pretty interesting concept with storage." And that was the phaser idea. The the, the you know they're looking at the energy management was really the driver, but, but, but really looking yeah. at the, the panel level stuff. So I went over there and free night panel level storage. So the people storage. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Panel level storage. And it, it's very interesting concept. Uh, very interesting how that, uh, and, and, and I was going for the startup worlds, right. And we kind yeah. of structured things. If you hit the home run, you hit the home run. And if you don't, you don't. And we, we were there. It's just, you get those MBAs, hard knock MBAs, as you said, um, and it just, it just didn't have enough gas to get to the top of the hill. Is like what I like to yeah, say. Cash flow from perspective yeah, of having yes. cash in the bank. I'm curious as, as someone who had 
seen, you know, what success looks like, what it was that got you excited about JLM mm-hmm. and that you saw from sort of a pattern matching perspective, like, okay, this looks like if XYZ line up, this could really work and why. What I'll tell you is what I saw at JLM was not something dissimilar that I saw when I was in the solar industry. We had traditional installers, very uh, established amount of solar installers in the industry. Along comes a company that provides uh, an AC type of interaction. So what it what in phase in the microinverter world allowed to happen was it increased the number of installers drastically. The cost was a little different and the mechanics were a little different. But what it made was ease of use. The expertise required was a lot less. And what I saw at JLM was that similar thing going to happen in energy storage. You know, being at Tesla, looking at the Powerwall, I was there, Powerwall 1, Powerwall 2 kind of yeah. was coming. And you know, at the end of the day, the, the piece of equipment is A, but the installation was... 2A or, you know, it was, it was not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, uh, uh, it's, it's pretty hard. And so the phaser, the phaser technology that JLM had was, was interesting because I believed that it did the same type of approach. It made application of installation of energy storage. A, it made it to where it was something that could be segmented. You didn't have to put one huge box in. You could put more in over time. Distributed, uh, yeah. Which, which in phase I think saw that a little bit, as well as the fact that it uh, that it just made it to where you did not have to be a storage electrical expert to install right. this product. It was plug and play, no different than the, than the microinverter. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that explanation. And uh, few have tried, uh, you know, Yada and Solpad uh, are mm. definitely bringing innovation to that sector. But since JLM, which was really um, a, a pioneer in rooftop storage. I saw what you saw when I remember when I interviewed um, uh, Farid in uh, at, Inter- at SPI. I think like 2017. Yeah. I was stunned at the correlation. Right when we all saw Enphase come out, I was like, "Wait, I can take Romex off the roof. I can take AC power. This is anybody can install this. Right. You don't even need hardly you hardly even need training. And like right now, even even today, 2023." It is, you need an, an electro-engineering degree to yes. put an energy storage system together. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's, it, what even was so attractive to me is like, it was literally plug and play software, yeah. communication, turn on, and engaging. So, yeah, I had a, had a huge affinity for that. And, the, what, and also the, the trees that were cut down by the likes of an in-phase in terms of well, what about being on the roof and the temperature and the and the right. here and this they and already the other. addressed a lot of that. It's like, guys, look, we're able to do it with the microinverter. It's 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 a microinverter with with some you know essentially with some batteries in there that are used to the kind of temperatures. And I told people you're more concerned about the cold than you are the hot. But but needless to say that that uh, was something that you could overcome because someone else had already kind of shown that it could be overcome essentially. Um, you know, Enphase at that time was also yeah. um, um, in, a, in a position that was very interesting and they've exploded out of that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I had some, had some pretty interesting conversations with them over time when, when the stock was less than a dollar. So yeah, boy, they've turned the, that company around. Yeah. It's clear to me from 
the description of how you have sort of cultivated leadership skills uh, and abilities that you have and the opportunities you were given, why you made uh, uh, why you made a logical choice for Meyerberger to bring you in, run the America's team, help stand up manufacturing here. Now that you're in that that captain's chair, uh, building that team and sort of doing it, at, it's almost like an entrepreneurial venture for you yeah. here. Um, what do you find is the most common question that comes to mind or gets asked uh, either about the product or the company and, and how do you answer it? Well, I, I would say that the most common theme is around, are you going to make it, right? Are, are, are not necessarily even Meyerberger per se, but really can someone else do this industry, be in this industry, right? Someone, a European company, a U.S. footprint type of, of company. And I often answer the question that nothing comes without risk in life and you've got to go for it, but you've got to believe in the mission and what you're doing. And not only do I believe in it, but the leadership team in Europe, they believe in it, the executive board, they believe in it. So um, the reality is it's an easy conversation to say, we think we can, we're going for it. Uh, here in the US, I, I like to uh, think of that we approach it from almost a ready fire, aim, course correct approach where we're going to try things out. We're going to try to put ourselves in a position to be successful. And if it's not the way we're going to be successful, we're not going to ride it out to, where, to the end. We're going to adjust. And Europe is, is responding accordingly to, to support us on that. Super excited about that. Goes all the way down to our cell plant where we're going to do it. We went from idea to production is going to be in 18 months, which is unheard of. And yeah. that's a wow. testament to, to Meyer Berger's ability to pivot. And that's what's critical how can you survive in this business? You got to be a technology leader and you've got to be able to pivot. You cannot, you know, lock yourself into a dying technology. And that's why I believe that Meyer Berger has got it, got the ability to do it. That's what I tell people and, and people buy into it. And you, you show the history, you show the ability, you show the, the, the desire to be successful. The only thing we do, we get up, we eat, drink, sleep, everything that we do in life is around the solar module, the solar cell technology. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not spending a time in the in the in the ecosystem around that right now. We think that there's so much room to get to that 30% module that we see the vision to uh, with between IBC, then perovskite tandem modules, yeah. which we're heavily engaged with on, in, in those technologies. So that's another reason. Technology leadership, desire, it's all we do. And and quite yeah. frankly, the, the the ability to 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 adjust as needed. What can you tell me about the leadership team uh, in, in particular? I know that the the CEO is the CTO, for example, yeah. of the company. What do you, what do you admire? What have you learned uh, yeah. joining this team? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was going back to the story of the Solar World days when I was up there spending those hours and days and weeks there. There was an individual that was also there that I didn't know. But we would end up at the same restaurants because he was living there solo without his family. And it was Gunter. And Gunter and I, at that time, were, he was transitioning. And European companies, you don't transition overnight. You transition over a little bit of time. Uh, but he was transitioning to Meyer Berger from, from, uh, from, from Solar World. And we spent a lot of time talking and having kind of philosophical conversations, right? Never knowing that we would be in this situation where we are today. But we always centered at that time, it was monoperk. And monoperk wasn't the standard technology, but it was, it was the next technology, relatively speaking, in those days. And 
uh, there was a lot of argument even within Solar World whether or not they should focus on it. We were both of the same opinion. So what's important about that is to understand that I know his mindset, our newest mindset when this whole transition happened. When he went to my uh, my burger, he was the CTO there. That was his only title. Well, not his only, but that's what his title was, a CTO. And then he became the CEO, but he's you know, still holding the reins of CTO. But he has a very commercial mindset as well. And he's got, he's got super amount of knowledge, but he's also got business sense. So he and the team and Daniel Menzel, our chief operating officer, who was also at, at, at Solar World in a different role, but he was there uh, at, at Solar World. We have a very open and great relationship. And that's what's, what I love about the leadership team. And uh, they're willing to be very frank with me, and, but at the same time, very open with me and, and hear my yeah. ideas. And not my ideas, but the U.S.'s ideas, so to speak. It's not just me. It's, there's a team of uh, people here that are, that are uh, engaging on that. And uh, yeah, that's what I love about it. Is, it. is there anything, you mentioned Provsky in tandem. Is there anything, uh, what's on the, the horizon that, um, that yeah. you guys are looking out to beyond where the market's at now? Yeah, so the market now... Uh, for us is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on the header junction. And I'd say the today is how do we get in line with where we need to be? We believe it's the best technology. There's PERC, there's the traditional IBC, there's some power modules. TopCon is starting to come on there. You know, there's some things out there. And there's also globally, there's a few header junction players out there, a little bit different, but header junction is in the, is in the industry. Um, our focus right now is to, to normalize on a, a little bit bigger wafer. That's how the modules have been getting more power. They've been making them bigger, but uh, we really are excited about that. We'll have that done next year. So that's the now term. I think that there's going to be the IBC and then potentially the IBC bifacial that's going to come from us. Not sure if it's going to be in every d- different vertical that we have, but we see a long road. We see a pretty good uh, runway on the current HJT technology that we can continue to advance to get a little bit more out of it. Um, versus the other guys and then the other types of technologies. Then we can go from there. And of course the IBC technologies that we are we're working with. We've um we've engaged in, in Switzerland and in Germany with the to, to develop these technologies. We have a history in developing these technologies, especially when we're the tool manufacturer. Very knowledgeable about the tandem, different terminal types and, and the tandem technologies. Um I'm excited about that. I think that is something that has been five years out for the past 10 years. Every year, it's five years yeah. out, right? Kind of attitude. But I think we're actually in that kind of five year, five to seven year horizon for that. You know, I know that we'll, I think that we should be able to move with the years here eventually on, on efficiency all the way up to 2030, get to the 30. I think that that's got to be capable nice. capability. And, hetero, okay. and what we're trying to do is hetero junction is, well, like we say, we feel it's naturally. Uh, aligned with combining those technologies. So, yeah. And you guys are invested in a, uh, or part owner in a perovskite facility as well. Is that right? Uh, we do have some ownership in, in, in a company, um, uh, Oxford PV. Uh, we, you know, it's uh, 29% ownership. So we're still there, but we, we've definitely been looking at, uh, we're right now we're working really strong. We announced not too long ago that we had some cooperation agreements with, uh, a few companies in Switzerland and Germany, and obviously the Fraunhofer Institute, uh, and the great thing about what we're doing there is everything that we're developing with those three will be for us and what we can use. And it'd be kind of a, a proprietary thing there. Um, Oxford PV is a, is a developer and they're a big believer in, in not only Perovskite, of course, but uh, uh, Heterojunction is the key 
technology to combine uh, for perovskite type modules. So they, they speak for us. Yeah, yeah. So if you you hear them speak, they'll talk about that. Is there anything that particularly differentiates or distinguishes the company culture that you are building, or do you feel like makes your team stand out? Yeah, I think that for me, uh, culturally speaking, I come from a world where opportunities are given, maybe not deserved, but opportunities are given, and and I look for people to, I would take advantage of those opportunities were given to me when I didn't deserve them. I took, you go into it. So I like to put people outside of their comfort zone and give them opportunities to stretch themselves. At the same time, it's almost an expectation that we do that. And that's the culture that we're building because it's the course correct capability. It goes all the way back to my childhood of mistakes were were something that you learned on and you pivoted. Right. That's that's got to be able to pivot. You got to be able to feel that you can take a leap and and someone's there to catch you. Uh, I definitely put people in in these positions that are working with me uh, on the commercial side of the organization, which is really what I'm focused on right now. We've built out a, yeah. a really robust sales team. Uh, we started a year ago. This time we had one one salesperson. Now we've got ten salespeople. We're adding. It's having an impact. I put some leaders in. Uh, uh, on sales, I've got Aaron Clark, who's an industry veteran. He's running sales right now uh, for us in the, in the sales team. Uh, Michelle, obviously, she does a, an incredible job on the marketing team for us, and she comes from the industry as well. But I'll be honest with you, part of our success is also that we're diversifying, and we've got people who are not from the industry that have started, and we've got people who are not, not even have a ton of experience uh, that we, we that we've started, and they're doing a great job and. Yeah. I like to tell them they're not all caught, you know, they're not guys like us or can be jaded somewhat. They're, it's new, it's fresh to them. And I tell people there's an environment of people wanting to come to this industry. And so I only tell this not only to myself, but to our, my colleagues in, out there that it works because you, but you have yeah. to believe and you have to give them chances. You have to educate yeah. them, but you also have to make them know that you don't need to know everything about heterojunction overnight. Right. It's do you have empathy for the customer? Are you available to talk to them? Are you willing to support them? Are you going to stand up and say what you believe, even though what you believe may be wrong and, and be willing to be told that, hey, that's incorrect, but let's let's fix yeah, it. Right. Be, be humble about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm this macro manager as you can get, to be honest with you. Sometimes it's a it's even a, a downfall from my side. I'm definitely not a micromanager, but I look at people and you know, if you've interviewed them, if you spend time with them, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm, I know that any one of us can do it. Everything's hard in life. We need support. That's what we need right now. We need to support each other. So our team should feel that way, that they've got the support they need, that they've got the ability to make some mistakes. And we've got some expectations that we're holding, to, holding them to. And, um, but but we're, we're a big team. And, and on the operational side of the business, Walter Geisler's running operations for us. He's, um, you know, he's an industry veteran. He's leading that up. And I only bring that up to say that it's very critical because we're hiring industry veterans for our operations and our production side, both in the module and in the cell. Uh, it's not it's not a given that we'll get them. Uh, it's going to be very competitive as more people come online. But it's our job to be an, uh, an employer of choice. Well, artists, I wish that I could spend another hour with you candidly there's so many questions left on the table as i turn towards home base though i always want to dig in and kind of get inside the mind of how you look at personal development uh i'm curious a what do you nerd about nerd out about and then b what sort of uh what books 
or resources have uh, you recommended the most that have been, meant a lot to you in terms of your formation? To be honest, I, I kind of nerd out to the numbers uh, a little bit mm-hmm. from the from the engineering days and just the um, the eye opening experience of actually going to some getting in my MBA and when you're an engineering guy or a salesperson, it's it's definitely different in finance and valuation of companies and decisions that are made. So I typically yeah. love to 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 look at the data and and dig into it. I'm an Excel spreadsheet geek when it comes to that as well, doing all kinds of valuations in that and spending hours with the, with the team on that. So I think it's yeah. critical for us to to do those kind of things because it, it puts into perspective the if-then statements. Well, what if we did yeah. this? What, what would the impact? Right. You know, what's the decision for this? Why did we decide to not do that? Well, it saved us X. Well, because it saved us X, we're not able to do Y. And was the amount of due diligence and rigor put into that to evaluate that? I... Mm. You know, I've learned that from my from my world is that you have a knack to to want to snap, make it either a judgment or an answer or a call. And I'm that way. I'm, I'm I will give you an answer immediately, right? But it takes time for you to just kind of pause, reset, reevaluate, and come back with with something. So I've learned that over time, and I teach that to my kids because I see them. It's like. You came at that with the most confident approach. That was a great answer. Completely wrong, but a great answer. You know, you, <laughs> Love you your confidence. And, and so I, I um, you know, that's, that's, that's what I do to encourage them to, 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 to evaluate what you did. Go back and, and, and do some analysis. I mean, that's the great part mm-hmm. about it is we have so much analytics and capability and information that's available to us. None of it's ever perfect, right? No, no, no information is, is ever perfect. But how do you put it in the in the mindset that you're starting to trend to the decisions that you want to make yeah. and the technologies you want to do? And so, for me, I think that that's something that I I really enjoy, and I, I, I feel that I have a, a an affinity towards that, and try to do the calculator in my head. But as you get older, it gets a little bit more cloudy. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, if somebody's listening to this in anticipation of an interview at Meyerberger, they're going to now come uh, with a little, another. Uh, tool in their quiver to know they need to be data right and data right, focused right very good is there, a, get is there a book or two that you'd recommend that have meant a lot to you you know i i, I was i was just reading the um um uh, the friedman's books you know uh the hot the, oh, oh gosh i i i read that about what is this about was it 10 years 12 years ago 15 mm-hmm. maybe something like that um I, and i picked it up the other day i was kind of bored and I was kind of reading through that. I said, oh, man, I want my kids to read this. This is, is crazy. Yeah. That it's ahead of its time. What's that? It's yeah. ahead of its time. Yeah, it was ahead of its time, right? And so I think that, that anything that you can get your, your hands on around people who are viewing what's going on today in terms of how our earth is reacting to us living on mm-hmm. it, uh, it yeah. is, a, is a critical piece of information in a way that we, 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 we walk, and I tell my, my kids this, you know, growing up in West Texas, you know, it's a, it's a political hot rod or lightning rod, I should yeah. say, political lightning rod yeah. when you're yeah. talking about, uh, it can be a hot rod as well, but uh, for, for solar. But, but the truth of the matter is we have impact and, and how can we do things better and take it out of the Twitter sphere and, and just really do that. And so um, that's the book that I've, uh, I've started to pick up and started to read again. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through it. I'll probably finish it really fast. But I enjoy those kind of books. And of course, the sales training books are always great, but 
It's like, I, I can, is there a sales training book that stands out for you? No, I mean, I, 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 I can give you guys a couple. Uh, I had a customer of mine uh, just give us this this book called The Inf- Infinite Game, and I'm starting to look at that the now. The Infinite Game is so good. Yes, and I'm like, wow, it's incredible. Uh, my, yeah, the Jeremy other one over, that I recommend uh, 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 is Dawn to Dusk. The, the is, Little Red Book of the Little Red Book of Sales by Jeffrey Gittimer, fellow in North you Carolina. You like that one, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a classic, man. You know, anybody that's on the front line, like you got to- Tip of the sphere. Else, it gives you something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It gives you something to, I mean, it's something to think about how do I respond yeah. in different environments, different situations. Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. Being able to respond and react and that's, that's what's it about. You're, you know, the whole, how many times you have to ask them, well, guess what? They're going to say no different every single time. So you've got to. Yeah. You've got to be able to react as it is, but uh, it's the best thing to get is experience. As I said, I could spend hours with you, but we don't have it. If yeah. folks uh, who have spent this much time with us would like to find more about you or get connected with you, where do you like to be found? Is there a particular place that's more prevalent than others? Um, I mean, for me, just from the nature of the beast, if you're trying to reach out to me and you don't have my contact, just to hit me up on LinkedIn. I tend to respond to that pretty, pretty, pretty regularly. Uh, I used to be really bad at it, but it's, it's coming in hot and heavy lately. So I'm starting to go into that a little bit more. And, and, uh, I think you can reach out to us, uh, at the business, but, uh, I, I tell people whenever, yeah, I don't know if I want to throw it out here on the, on the podcast, but if you've got my That's contact, fine. reach out to me anytime you want. I, I like to react. I've got his contact. You can reach out to me. That's right. Yeah. But we, Hey, we're hiring people. We're, we're growing. Uh, we got go. third year, we got Colorado Springs and we're, where's the, what's the website? Uh, myburger.com it'll drop you down M- into the to the uh yeah. US. m-e-y-e-r-b-u-r-g-e-r yes. we'll link to it of course in the show notes yep. well, let's wrap uh artists with yeah. uh a final question here to to leave folks tantalized uh, we often call it a bold prediction but if you look out to you know the critical path of getting the decarbonization goals we have through 2030 2050 uh resolved what uh if we if we look back from there and had and we succeeded what did we get right what did we unlock we decided that every country has to participate not only from a the way that you you live but but more more myopically and when I'm more where I'm focused on on solar production and manufacturing we're we're making our first steps in something that's very new of how we approach the solar industry at least in the US with the inflation reduction act and the opportunity here Billions will be invested from the government, but billions and billions and, you know, multipliers of billions will be invested by the community, the businesses out there to help support that, make it happen. If we get it right, we, we, we kind of put down the debate, put down the, the political aisle, uh, move away from that and just recognize that this is best for us for whatever reason. And, and, and. I can go to I can go to DC and I can talk on both sides of the aisle for a reason why we need this and they both shake yeah. their head yes and it's 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 an opportunity for us to do this now but more importantly and I've said a lot there for one quick answer stability we have to have stability manufacturers billion dollar investments in this country won't happen without no stability so it takes it takes all of us to think what that needs to do and what needs to happen for that to to, to occur and we can't do it alone in the U.S. We need colleagues from globally, everywhere, to, to be able to get there. But we need stability. Artist Johnson is president and general manager of Meyer Burger Americas. Artist, it's always a pleasure. I learn so much when I get a chance to chat with you. I hope it isn't uh, 
too long before I get another opportunity. Thanks, Nico. Appreciate it. What a story. Artist Johnson, not just because you're a Johnson, but because you are such a professional. I tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you for taking time to be with here with us. Oh, and by the way, thank you. Thank you for taking time to be here all the way through this interview with Artis and I. This was so insightful. I love all the lessons learned from artists, especially the reality that our careers do uh, sometimes take a turn down an alley that doesn't lead back to a main road, uh, or at least not obviously. Artists, I think that you are an example of how to build skills and stack experience no matter what role you are in. I do actually believe that the time you spent tinkering around with the sales model for rooftop battery storage is not lost time. It was it was an interesting and insightful look at how the industry will evolve. In fact, we've already got examples following in those footsteps and the relationships that you've forged and the expansion that you're able to share with understanding how battery storage works ties to your ability as a leader to see around corners for one of the most consequential module manufacturing companies in existence today. How about, did you learn anything about the way that modules are manufactured? Did you know that Meyerberger existed before this episode? If you did, congratulations. If you didn't, I'm glad to have been able to help pull back the veil for you as I promised in the outset. And I'd appreciate it if you would jump over to LinkedIn and thank Artis for sharing in the way that he did. I thank you once more. If you want to learn more about Artis, the recommendations and the research that we did before the episode to get ready for it or the, the links to connect with him on social media, you can find all of those both in the description as well as on the episode notes page at mysuncast.com. And hey, while you're there, click on that sponsor page and show some love to the folks that help bring this show to you each and every week. All you have to do is pay attention. Give us a little of your time. They take care of the rest. Thank you so much to our sponsors. We are eternally grateful to you and help keep the Suncast team fed and clothed during this winter season and heading into a happy holiday time of year. And thank you, listeners. Thank you, viewers, for taking time out of your busy schedule. I wish you happy holidays. And I want to say, if you have not already subscribed and smashed the like button on the platform that you're in, please do that so that others can see it and learn in the same way that you have and so that we can have a Merry Christmas here at Suncast by bringing more folks into the fold. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.